0: Meet Jessica. She has Hashimoto's and is at her wits end with trying to get her thyroid in balance. She tried various medications, but she still didn't feel well. Her doctors kept telling her that her thyroid was just fine, but yet she felt terrible, bloated, fatigued, she had hair loss, all types of GI issues, and just overall brain fog. She did the rounds with all types of doctors, but felt like she wasn't getting anywhere. When I met Jessica, I explained to her that with Hashimoto's, it's not just about supporting the thyroid itself, but about slowing or stopping the immune system from attacking the thyroid, and that we have various triggers that can affect how the immune system is functioning. She told me that she knows all about gluten and that she's been gluten-free. That was great, but there could be so much more. I noticed that Jessica came from a family of farmers and had quite a bit of exposure. Figuring out her specific triggers was how we were going to solve her autoimmune mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. When dealing with autoimmunity, it's not just about supporting the organ that is being attacked, but also about figuring out what is triggering the immune system. I talk a lot about immune triggers on the show, and the big groups are stress, toxins, infections, and foods. But there's one trigger that it actually, it hits all of these groups. And you wanna know what it is? Well, my friends, that is glyphosate. And why? Well, that's because it's found on food. It's a toxin. It can create more infection in the body and it certainly causes physical stress. And there's a lot more to glyphosate than meets the eye. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring on the show to talk about this than Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey is the founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology and Protect Nature Now. He is a best-selling author, award-winning filmmaker, and a celebrated public speaker, and his work has influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide. Jeffrey, I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here because... I love your setup. I love finding the causes of disease. I've got lots of information to share that I don't normally share in my introductory talk. So let's go deep.
0: Yes, I'm excited. Let's do it. Well, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page, let's first just talk about what is glyphosate?
1: Well, glyphosate is the chief poison in Roundup herbicide, which was made and introduced by Monsanto, which has since been purchased by Bayer. You may have heard of the Roundup lawsuits where juries agreed that the use of Roundup caused the plaintiffs or contributed to the plaintiffs non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. But it's also linked to more than 30 diseases. It was originally patented as a descaler for industrial boilers and pipes. Why? Because it is a chelator. It grabs onto all the minerals and doesn't let go. So in that way, it pulls the minerals off of the pipes and boilers But it also, when it's in our food, grabs onto minerals in our system, preventing them from doing the good work that they do. But it doesn't stop there. As we'll see, it appears to damage each of the foundational pillars of good health. And it's remarkable how effective it is at damaging the basis of health. So that's why we think it's linked to the dramatic rise in Most of the diseases, most of the popular diseases that have been going up since Roundup was sprayed on food starting in the late 1990s. Roundup is also sprayed on most genetically modified crops, soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa that are engineered to be Roundup ready, designed specifically to tolerate sprays of Roundup that would otherwise kill them, and the Roundup gets absorbed into the crop. But the Roundup is also sprayed on grains and beans just before harvest, so it ends up high levels in oats and wheat, mung beans, lentils, chickpeas, et cetera. It's also sprayed in orchards, so it ends up in orange juice, in vineyards, so it ends up in wine. It's throughout the food supply, and it's something that should be avoided.
0: Mm. It's really, really scary when we think about how many foods it's on. And so, and obviously, if people are buying organic then there's less of a worry. But like you said, because it's sprayed on everything, it probably then I'm assuming goes into the soil, right? And then into the environment so it can end up on other foods too, is that correct?
1: Even in the air and the rain and the water supply. So yes, you will find on our, we have a list of all the research that's been done on Roundup Residues at responsibletechnology.org. I'll mention that again at the end, where you can search the different foods that you eat by just raw ingredient, and in some cases by actual brand names and products, and you will see that uniformly, except in one case, the organic products have tiny levels of roundup residues, if any. Sometimes it's below detectable levels. Now, why would an organic uh, vineyard give rise to wine that has a tiny level of glyphosate? Because It's in the rainwater, or it's in the irrigation water, or in the air. So small amounts, yes. Large amounts, very rarely inorganic.
0: Okay. When people have been exposed, and a lot of people may know that this is an issue, right? And they may be eating organic foods, but they've still been exposed. They may not have been eating them last year, or five years ago, right? Or 10 years ago. So what are some of the effects? And what are some of the conditions and concerns, I guess, people can have When they've been exposed?
1: Well, it's interesting that if we start with the modes of action of what glyphosate does and then talk about the diseases, they're linked pretty closely. If you talk about, for example, it deprives the body of the minerals, that means that many of the metabolic pathways that would normally be functioning are shut down until those minerals appear. And if they're being hugged or chelated by glyphosate, It doesn't work. It also is patented as an antibiotic, so it kills off oddly the beneficial bacteria of our microbiome, but not the nasty stuff. It also can create leaky gut in the in the cell walls along the intestines, but also leaky brain, leaky kidneys, leaky organs, turning the body into a sponge for toxins. It can damage and mutate the DNA, which can lead to cancer. It can Interfere with the intercellular communication called gap junctions, which is also a link to cancer. It can damage the mitochondria, which is linked to cancer and aging and all sorts of diseases. It also blocks the production by gut bacteria of the precursors for serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. Very important. It also can throw off hormonal balance between estrogen and testosterone and others. It can operate at very, very small doses, mimic as an endocrine disruptor or very potent toxin. It can lead to birth defects as well as epigenetic changes in gene expression in future generations so that the great-grandchildren of mice that were injected with glyphosate actually were worse off than the grandchildren or the children. It can can suppress digestive enzymes, and there's a lot of other things that it can do. And one of the things is it's like the king of all toxins because our own detoxification pathways are suppressed. The cellular detoxification pathway, NRF2, is downgraded. The liver detoxification pathways can be interfered with because of the lack of certain enzymes. The kidney detoxification pathway can be interfered with. So as long as it's around, many of the other toxins can be amplified in their impact. So you can see whether it's the hormones, the gut, the microbiome, the leaky gut, all of these things are impacted by this very, very dangerous molecule. And so now we can look at the list of more than 30 diseases that have been on the rise since GMOs And Roundup were introduced.
0: Yeah, that's really, really scary. And it sounds like it's almost like a triple or even a quadruple whammy, right? Like it's a toxin in itself, but then it doesn't allow our detoxification organs to work to deal with the toxin, right? So it's blocking it um, right there. That is definitely very scary, Why do you think that it is such a powerful autoimmune trigger? Do you think it's a combination of all of these things, like having impaired detox, having impaired digestion and leaky gut, and some of the hormonal connection there? Or is there something else that you think can affect autoimmune, and especially with something like Hashimoto's?
1: Well, I did a talk years ago for the American Academy of Environmental Medicine, and then I think again for Functional Medicine Group, on GMOs, autoimmune disease, uh, inflammation, et cetera. And there's many, many reasons. Uh, The first is, and this is very common for autoimmune disease, is the leaky gut phenomena. Now, GMOs both have Roundup, but also GMOs produce an insecticide called BT, toxin. The Bt toxin kills certain insects by poking holes in the walls of their guts to kill them. In high concentrations, it also pokes holes in human cells in laboratory settings. So leaky gut can be created by intercellular or intracellular holes or gaps. Now, the Roundup or glyphosate, when it's applied in a petri dish of human epithelial cells, you can see the tight junctions split apart. If this happens in our gut, which we think it does, it means that undigested food proteins can go straight into the bloodstream, as well as bacteria, toxins, chemicals, etc. The holes inside the cells may be drilled, in a sense, from the Bt toxin, which is in the corn in North America. Now, as you know, the, the bloodstream is not prepared to receive these big, lumbering, undigested proteins. They're, they're designed to get these itsy-bitsy pieces. That's the technical term. When these not When these undigested pieces come in, they're viewed as an intruder, as an attacker. And then the very modern immune system they all get out their iPhones and take pictures of it, post it on their Facebook, and send the rest of the immune system these pictures of these proteins saying, attack anything that looks like this. But unfortunately, they use old iPhones that are fuzzy and pixelated, and so the immune system attacks anything that looks like it and gets it wrong. They'll attack the thyroid for Hashimoto's. They'll attack the pancreas. They'll attack different parts of the body that look like these undigested proteins. That's the basis of autoimmune disease through leaky gut. It's basically big, undigested proteins and old iPhones. Mm,
0: I love your analogy of molecular mimicry.
1: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, molecular mimicry, that's what it is. That's what we call it, right. So what happens is we end up now sensitized to all of these different foods. And as long as we're eating Roundup in every bite, it continues to keep the gap junctions or the, the tight junctions open, and then it becomes permanently open unless it's re- remedied and you have this inflammation. But there's also local and, and general inflammation that can happen on the gut walls. Um, there's inflammation we've seen when when laboratory animals are fed GMOs. You can see the infiltration of the immune system there, you can see the interleukin 6s, which can promote uh, inflammation. You can see how the beneficial bacteria, like bifidobacteria, which is a inflammation suppressor, is killed off. So all these different angles, not just the leaky gut, but the microbiome, the damage to the gut walls, both Roundup and BT have been shown to damage the microvilli along the gut walls in laboratory uh, animal studies. So there's a whole basically barrage of problems that can lead to inflammation and autoimmune disease. Yeah, and the gut plays such a big role, of course.
0: Now, speaking of the gut and microbes, I know that one of the things you talk about is genetically engineered microbes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's very intriguing and very scary at the same time.
1: I'd love to, but I want to just finish this point because we just laid out, all the modes of action of Roundup, but we didn't really discuss the specific disease types that people can relate to. Because, you know, if someone talks about leaky gut, fine, but what people are really interested is, is it gonna help my weight, my my fatigue, etc. So I'd like to, if it's okay with you, just review some of the diseases that we have found linked to Roundup and GMOs first, and then jump into the genetically modified microbes. Is that okay? Of course. So we can look at this from many different angles. If we look just at correlational charts, which I show in my in my presentations, we can see the rise of specific diseases in parallel with the increased use of glyphosate sprayed on soy and corn in the United States or the increased prevalence of genetically engineered soy and corn. And it's pretty remarkable, these correlations. Now correlation doesn't prove causation, But these are important data that allow us to see if in fact it is causing a problem, we should see these type of relationships. So there's a dramatic correlation with the Roundup or the GMOs with inflammatory bowel disease, deaths from intestinal infection, liver disease, all sorts of cancers, liver, bile duct cancer, kidney cancer, breast cancer, there's autism, ADHD, deaths from Alzheimer's, deaths from d- dementia, senile dementia, deaths from Parkinson's, anxiety, suicide by overdose, schizophrenia, celiac disease, insomnia and other sleep disorders, skin problems, birth defects, newborn problems, eye, eye, eye problems, diabetes, obesity, etc. cetera. So these are ones that show high levels of correlation, also stroke and hypertension and anemia and a number of others. But what does that mean in terms of us individually? Well, at about 150 conferences, I asked the audiences, what did you notice when you switched to non-GMO and largely organic? What did you get better from? And there was a very significant and consistent response. The number one most common result was improved digestion. And we then surveyed 3,256 people uh, and they got better from the same 28 conditions as the people in the audience. And sure enough, digestion was number one. 85.2% of all the respondents said they got better from digestive disorders. Not just in a small way, 80% of those, it was either significant improvement nearly gone or completely recovered. The next was fatigue, the next was uh, weight problems, the next was brain fog, then anxiety and depression, then food sensitivities and allergies. And I'm still over 50% of the respondents reporting getting better from these diseases. In fact, if you look at the same correlational charts there's a hand in glove in that the people get better, reported getting better from many of these same diseases. If you look at the animal feeding studies, when you force feed the animals, GMOs or Roundup, they suffer from these diseases or their precursors. When you take pets or livestock off of GMOs, they also get better from these uh, diseases or these precursors. Your interest is very much in autoimmune disease. So I looked at the survey where we had the 28 different conditions that people got better from, and I looked up autoimmune disease, and it turns out 21.4 percent of the 3,200 people reported getting better from autoimmune disease. But of those, 70 percent were either significantly improved, nearly gone, or completely recovered. So it's a it, it's an amazing number when you think of it. How many people? even knew that they had an autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. and could track it as getting better from that. So it's a very significant number.
0: And I mean, all of these conditions are really across the board, just showing what a just colossal amount of inflammation and disruption um, and dysregulation, really, that's happening in the body from this. Absolutely. So, well, actually, why don't we talk about the gut bugs first, and then I want to get into what people can do to actually... Get better into detox from that.
1: All right. So when we talk about microbes, it's not just the gut microbes, it's microbes that can be released all around the world into the environment, into the atmosphere, etc. I think a lot of your listeners have probably heard about the microbiome revolution, in that we realize we're not just humans, we actually have a community living inside us, and we use the DNA, we use the genes of the microbiome to supplement our meager 22,000 genes in our own cells. That's less than earthworms. But we get to use the 3.5 million genes of our microbiome. We, we outsource about 90% of the daily functions to the microbiome. The microbiome helps prevent disease, it helps treat disease. In the second trimester, milk digesting bacteria moves into the birth canal so it inoculates the newborn so it can digest the milk part of mother's milk is indigestible by the infant. It's not designed for the infant, it's designed to feed the microbiome, which if it's healthy, can set the child on a course of good health for the rest of his or her life. It is extremely important, it is like programming. When you take pieces of our fecal matter and and insert it into someone else's microbiome, it can carry along our diseases or our health, whether it were individual humans or rats or, or mice, it's amazing the information that's contained. But the human microbiome is just one. There is a soil microbiome. There's microbiomes on trees, on leaves, in the atmosphere. Now, our ProtectNatureNow.com program, Protect Nature Now, is designed to prevent the release of genetically engineered microbes. Why is that? We didn't need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel around the world and mutate and wreak havoc. Most people don't realize that microbes can also swap genetic material. So if you genetically engineer a microbe, well-meaning, and release it in one place for a particular purpose, it may end up inside the DNA of hundreds or thousands of other types of microbes and enter the ecosystems around the world that you never anticipated. We know that microbiomes can be delicate and sensitive. A a small change can cause permanent damage, even a collapse of the microbiome, outside of us or inside of us. Changes in the microbiome are linked to about 80% of chronic diseases, according to Karen Krishnan, a microbiome expert. So, Now that we know that if you release a genetically engineered microbe, it's introducing a new man-made element with unpredictable potential side effects. What could go wrong? Well, if you go to protectnaturenow.com and you go to the 16-minute film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, your jaw may drop when you realize what could actually go wrong. There is a microbe that was almost released. Well-meaning, well-intentioned, but if it had been released as planned, it may have ended terrestrial plant life on planet Earth. Another one may have altered weather patterns. Another one may have decimated the human population. You can see these as bad actors where we know the intended result of the genetic engineered change. And if it simply did what it was supposed to do, it could cause these problems. But you add on to that, the fact that the genes could transfer to other microbes. You add on to that that the single most common result of genetic engineering is surprise side effects, so it can do things that you never intended. And you realize these are tiny genetic time bombs that are untrackable and potentially irreversible because they can go everywhere in the world and you cannot clean up the genome. You cannot clean up the gene pool. It becomes a permanent part of nature. It changes the biological evolution as we know it. And now that gene editing, which creates these unpredictable GMOs, is so cheap and easy, you can buy a gene editing kit on Amazon for $169. You can buy and build your own basement laboratory and create new genetically engineered microbes every day. High school biology classes will be doing it in mass soon. College classes are doing it. Corporations are doing it and it can end up with a million new microbes in the microbiome this generation unless we lock it down. So when you go and watch the 16-minute film at protectnaturenow.com, go to the advocacy platform. We load it each month with a different campaign related to this, and in a single click, you can send information to all of your elected officials, to local media around you, to social media, And while you're there, please make a recurring donation to our nonprofit so we can get this done quickly before it's too late.
0: Gosh, that is really scary. And I didn't realize that the bugs can swap the DNA with other ones and create all of these issues.
1: Yeah, it's amazing because it's a way that they get to share the wealth. If they have something that helps them survive, then it can be passed on to others. So for example, we know that the only human feeding study ever conducted on genetically engineered foods that we eat showed that part of the gene that was inserted into soybeans to make the soybean plant resistant to Roundup herbicide ended up integrated into the DNA of gut bacteria. Now, suppose that that was functioning and creating Roundup-ready gut bacteria. That's a very important survival trait. Mm -hmm. So let's say it passed that along to certain pathogens. So now they don't die in the presence of Roundup herbicide, which is part of the food supply. Now what you've done is you've equipped certain microbes with extra protection against Roundup or glyphosate. And so that's how they can swap these genetic elements to increase their survivability.
0: Wow. That's insane. And so when people are consuming GMO foods or foods that are sprayed with glyphosate, you know, they have Roundup on them. Is that contributing to some of these microbes or is that something else?
1: Well, what's interesting is the Roundup has an impact on microbes and GMOs have an impact on microbes, and it's different. GMOs means you're actually, you know, editing a genome or inserting something into the genome, often making combinations that could never occur in nature with unpredictable side effects. Now with Roundup, that is sprayed 300 million pounds a year sprayed in the United States. Roundup is an antibiotic. What does that mean? It kills microbes, but it kills the beneficial ones, not the nasty ones. So inside our gut, it'll kill the lactobacillus, the bifidobacteria, but it won't kill the clostridium botulinum. It won't kill the, you know, for the botulism, it won't kill the the nasty E. coli and the salmonella. Now, if it's sprayed on the environment, it also kills the beneficial bacteria in the soil. So it is destroying the microbiome as an antibiotic, and genetic engineers are altering the microbiome using gene editing and other GMO techniques. And so we are damaging it from both directions. So it's
0: like a perfect storm. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. You know, and I think so many people nowadays, you know, especially I think a lot of the people that listen to this show know the dangers of antibiotics in general. And again, not to say that we should never take an antibiotic. Obviously, there is a time and place for certain infections. But, you know, I think a lot of people do understand that we don't take them all the time for colds and things like that. But oftentimes they don't realize that glyphosate has the same effect. So if they're eating foods that are sprayed with it, which is, you know, like you said, anything essentially that's not organic, well, it's having the same effect. So, you know, sometimes people pride themselves on, oh, I haven't taken an antibiotic in 10 years. Woohoo. You know, and that is wonderful. That's an accomplishment for sure. But there's all of these other things that could have the same antibiotic negative effect.
1: It's true. And I, I was talking to Karen Krishnan, the microbiologist about the effects of glyphosate and Roundup on gut bacteria. And he did a, a study where he took human microbiome into a model, a model system and applied food for three weeks and then fed it Roundup for two weeks. And then I went through the 28 different conditions that people reported getting better from when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic diets. And he told me in each case how the change in the microbiome as a result of applying the Roundup to the system, could exacerbate or create those particular disorders. Digestive, overweight, asthma, hormonal problems, menstrual problems, infertility, uh, memory concentration, basically all, anything that you can think of are all from autism and, and uh, Alzheimer's and et cetera. All of them were linkable to just the changes in our gut microbiome Created by Roundup.
0: So, I mean, I think this is obviously very convincing. And for those people that may not have been aware, I am sure that it is very easy to see why we don't want to consume these foods. But is changing to organic foods enough? You know, if we've been exposed to glyphosate for, say, the last 10 years, 15 years, right? 20 years, for some people, 30 years, right? It's, you know, if depending on how old we are is there certain damage that has happened? You know, is it permanent? Is it something that we can detox from? Is there anything we can do to support that?
1: You know, that's the second most common question I get asked. The first is, how do I avoid GMOs and Roundup? Um, And so for the first one, I say, go to responsibletechnology.org. You can learn how to avoid the GMOs and the Roundup. But for the other one, for years, I just said, basically, I'm not a physician or a scientist. It's above my pay grade. But then I started, as I was teaching doctors about the dangers of glyphosate, and I think I was one of the first, if not the first, to bring the attention of the medical community to this. They started prescribing non-GMO diets and also developing protocols. So when I heard that, I started learning from them, and then I hosted a series of interviews with these expert physicians, scientists, and product developers on how people can heal from GMOs and Roundup. And I created a this uh, online program called Healing from GMOs and Roundup, and that's available at livehealthybewell.com. Now, I am not qualified to condense and try and pick the best from each person because I don't know. But I can tell you it's a full range and each expert has their own angle. So. Dietrich Klinghardt and Lee Cowden talked about an infrared sauna, among other things. Uh, Joe Mercola had specific supplements. Nutritionist Julie Daniluk talked about the foods that helped the stage two uh, detoxification of the liver. Um, There was all sorts of different angles, but if you remember when we talked about the modes of action of Roundup or glyphosate, you would need different angles because on the one hand, it deprives you of minerals, so you need to remineralize. On the other hand, it damages the microbiome, so you need to build that up. It creates leaky gut. You need to restore your, your, your tight junctions. It damages the mitochondria. It can mess up the serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine by not having enough of the tryptophan and tyrosine that are produced by the gut bacteria. And the, the pathway that produces those is blocked by glyphosate. So if you don't have enough tryptophan or then you don't have enough serotonin, which means you don't have enough melatonin, that could explain the anxiety, the depression, the suicide, the insomnia, and the other sleep disorders. So we can track the physiological changes from glyphosate or GMOs to the specific disorder that people get better from when they switch to organic, to the specific disorder that's rising in in the US population in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup. So there's a lot of different pieces that are involved and some of those are basically just good health recommendations. So when you, when I found that when I went through these 18 interviews, then a lot of the recommendations apply even to people who are eating organic because they build up the immune system, they close the gaps, they remineralize, they build up the, the, the digestive capacity, et cetera.
0: Well, it's definitely good to hear. And, you know, in this show especially, I always try to tell people that, you know, we, we do have hope. There are answers. Right, We're not just doomed and things aren't necessarily broken forever, usually, right? There's different things that we can do and we can get in control.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I remember in talking in 2009 at the American Academy of Environmental Medicine, it was my fourth year there. And I was speaking there and receiving an award and I took my video camera and Dr. Emily Linder, among others, um, told me that she, she was prescribing non-GMO diets to all 5,000 of her patients over the last few years and they all got better. And she could say, yeah, it, the anxiety and depression got cleared up almost immediately, the food allergies and asthma, three to seven days, the digestive disorders usually took about a month and then she could rebuild the digestion over two years. These were general numbers. I was astounded. I said, can I go interview your patients? I did. And sure enough, the results were amazing. It was like, I was a little embarrassed because I had been traveling around the world by that time, 25 countries, talking about the dangers in animal feeding studies. People would come up to me and say, "You know, I can tell the difference if I eat a GMO. And I was skeptical. But then when the doctor started prescribing it and their numbers dwarfed the amount of rats and mice that were fed GMOs in the study. So they had more data than anyone in the world and they were saying people got better. I talked to an allergist in the same conference. He said my my allergic patients say that they can re- they react more to the GMOs, and when they take it out, they they get better. So, it, and another person said, "Yeah, GMOs cause inflammation in my patients." So it's it's interesting that it's not just having to do these detoxification programs. The body's intelligence is there, and by lifting the burden of glyphosate and gmos from the diet the nrf2 kicks in to detox the p450 cytochrome pathways kick in to do the detox the cellular pathways come up and and restore and maintain the mitochondria there's all sorts of things that happen when you simply don't burden the body with these toxins
0: and you know i always talk about the body being able to heal itself and oftentimes you know people look at me like i have five heads because they'll say, well, my body's not healing itself. I don't know what you're talking about, but it's exactly this, right? The body can heal itself if it's not burdened, right? If it has the tools. So if we have, you know, five different things that are burdening it, and maybe one of those things is 50% of everything, right? And we take that out like the GMOs or things that are sprayed with glyphosate, then the body just has so much more reserves now and it can go and do what it has to do.
1: That was amazingly clear in a film I did with Amy Hart called Secret Ingredients. We tracked a lot of people who switched to organic and got better, including a, a chiropractic clinic where a bunch of infertile couples would come because this woman had a 100% success rate. What was her secret? She put them all on an organic diet. We went to her clinic, interviewed some of those patients that had been infertile and now have children. There's over 100 now, 123 at the last time I asked her, and that was a while ago, so it's probably closer to 200. Now, one of the families was interviewed. They had 21 chronic conditions between the five members of the family. The mother was disabled and had all sorts of problems and couldn't go to work anymore. The son, one of the oldest son who had autism. The youngest son had eczema all over his body. The middle one had mood swings and constipation, et cetera. And they, the mother decided to become an investigator into medicine, into, into, into diet functional medicine, diet, et cetera, and started to experiment on her family, taking out gluten, taking out soy, taking out uh, various things that she had learned were related to problems with health. And the 21 chronic conditions became less, but she was still managing them. When she switched to organic, didn't change anything else, switched to organic, they all went away. And they went, some went about, three weeks, some in about three months, and, that's, and the rest in about six months. After years of suffering, there was no other change. They were They were doing the therapies for the autistic child. They were not working, switched to organic, and he's no longer on the spectrum. So each of these things shifted when that final thing was changed. And she points out at the end of the film, and I know I'm doing a bit of a plot spoiler, but the film is powerful you can see it at livehealthybewell.com. she said it was the same underlying cause but expressing differently in the five members of the family With, you know the the husband had a breast tumor she was had all sorts of issues because uh, she was you know had a minor operation and ended up paralyzed all these different things happened but when she got rid of the gmos and the roundup everyone recovered because the body's intelligence could operate when the burden was lifted.
0: Yeah, and that's amazing to hear. Because a lot of it, like you said, sometimes people think, oh, maybe it's a food sensitivity, right? So they remove a certain food. And if that food is a GMO, great, right? But if they still have other foods, maybe they're not sensitive. And they would say, well, my sensitive, food sensitivity test doesn't show that corn is an issue, right? They just show that gluten and dairy is an issue. So they take out gluten and dairy, and they may not get better because they're eating corn, but they're thinking, no, no, corn's okay. I'm not sensitive to it. Oh,
1: that's so common. Right? But it's
0: because it's a GMO, right? Or because it's sprayed. It's because of these other things.
1: It turns out 50% of the people that we interviewed, that we surveyed, said they had improvements in food allergies or sensitivity. 76% of them, it was either significant, nearly gone, or completely recovered. Many people also who are gluten sensitive said that they improved significantly significantly after they re- removed GMOs and Roundup. So you're absolutely right, because the sensitivity can come from the leaky gut. It can come from amplified immune responses. If you take BT toxin, that's part of the corn that's in the in United States right now, if you feed that BT toxin to mice, they become not only reactive to the toxin, but they start to become reactive to formerly harmless Compounds, which means that if we act the same way, you eat the Bt toxin in the corn, and all of a sudden you're sensitive to maybe dozens of other things. In the five years after GM soy was introduced, peanut allergies doubled in the United States. There's reasons why that. There's some very technical reasons why the soy may have increased the sensitivity to peanuts and the deaths from peanut allergies. So these things are related. So it may not be easy to determine just from a layperson's understanding but you don't have to. If you switch to organic, write down all of your symptoms on a spreadsheet, one to 10, rate them every day. At the top, put a percentage of organic for that food for that day. Add your energy level, add your mood, because they're, they're related also. Add your sleep and see what happens over time. Try a month and see if your life gets better. In the film, Seeker Ingredients, the doctors talked about one of the best blessings for their patients, After they had switched to an organic diet and their autoimmune symptoms went away or their joint pain went away, they use these words, I'm quoting them. They said, when they backslide, when they cheat and they go back to the old diet, then their symptoms return, that becomes the confirmation to them that the the food is the driver and then they become committed to that organic diet.
0: Yeah. And that's as with anything, right? When you improve and then you go back and you see it, I mean, what's better motivation than that, right? I mean, that's right there in your face in black and white, you know, there's no arguments there for sure. I wanted to go back just for a second to what you were saying about GMO soy and peanut allergies. Do you think that that's also sort of like a molecular mimicry issue where the GMO soy has some similarity, I guess, to peanuts? Or why do you think that there's a correlation there?
1: I think there's two or three reasons why it could be related to peanuts. First of all, there is a cross-reactivity between peanut allergies and soy. And so it's possible that the aspect of that cross-reactivity has been enhanced with the genetically engineered version, because it is different. There's massive collateral damage that can occur. And I've done an analysis of some of the research that shows multiple RNA strains that could have different proteins produced. So yeah, that's one. Second, the genetically engineered soy, soy in general has something called trypsin inhibitor. Trypsin breaks down proteins. When you inhibit trypsin, then the ability to digest proteins is inhibited. The trypsin inhibitor is usually broken down in soy substantially when you cook it, but not in Monsanto's genetically engineered Roundup-ready soy. It It was up to seven times higher in the genetically engineered soy compared to non-gium soy after being cooked twice. So it wasn't denaturing. Now this means that if you eat the soy and you have a lot of trypsin inhibitor, it means that the trypsin, which would normally break down proteins, including peanut proteins, is inhibited. And one of the qualities of an allergy is that the protein is a survivor. It's not broken down quickly in the stomach it survives long enough to create an allergic reaction. So if you are eating a lot of trypsin inhibitor, you could become allergic to a wide variety of proteins that were formerly broken down quickly. But then you also have the Roundup sprayed on the genetically engineered soy, which can damage the mitochondria, can damage the microbiome, can cause the leaky gut, can damage the the microvilli along the walls of the intestines. And all of these things can contribute to allergic reactions. So those are the three things that come to mind. I'm sure if I spent a little more time, I could think of some things that were more indirect. But that's really all we need. Yeah, this makes sense
0: for sure. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit about corn. Um, And the reason I want to mention corn is because so many people that are dealing with autoimmunity, especially things like Hashimoto's, they're told, I mean, I talk about this on the show, but other functional medicine practitioners talk about the cross-reactivity. And that's why so many people get off gluten. And when they get off gluten, when they have autoimmunity, oftentimes they go to corn Because corn's gluten-free, right? It's easy. You can go to a Mexican restaurant. You know, you can go to a lot of places, just get corn stuff, and then you're gluten-free. Obviously, though, so much of the corn here, as you mentioned, is genetically modified. It's sprayed. So how can people know what corn is safer to eat? And is there any corn that's okay? Or do you just recommend that people stay away from it completely?
1: Well, corn, there are non-GM corn products available for sure. Most popcorn, it's possible that all popcorn or most popcorn is non GMO. It doesn't even easily cross pollinate. Corn in general will cross pollinate easily. So even if you buy organic corn that's been raised carefully, there may be some level of contamination. I used to work as the vice president of marketing communications more than 20 years ago at a GMO detection laboratory. And we tested back then and found contamination in the corn seed. If your seed is contaminated, you're going to find that your final product is. So like 42% of the people in our survey did show an improvement in gluten sensitivity when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic foods. And 76% of them was either significant, nearly gone, or completely recovered. But some of the people, like I was I was talking about this at a conference, I think, in Atlanta, and someone raised their hand as I talked about gluten sensitivity he said, yeah, he was having all sorts of digestive issues and then switched to you know, gluten-free, started having corn grits uh, every morning, but he was still having digestive issues, realized about the GMO, switched to a non-corn thing, and the digestive problems went away. That's very, very common. Now corn, to me, it's, it's a very significant offender because it, like, there are, there are corn on the cob uh, varieties that have the Roundup Ready, they create Bt toxin as well. And it's not, when you eat corn on the cob, you're eating just the full proteins. It's not broken down through heavy cooking. It's not broken down through creating high fructose corn syrup. It is a, you have the DNA there, you have the protein there. It's, it's in my opinion, quite dangerous. Now, the Roundup Ready corn was tested by Professor Seralini in France he had seen that the BT toxin corn and the Roundup Ready corn from Monsanto, in simply 90 days, had caused signs of toxicity in the liver and kidneys. There were over 50 serious issues that were raised the flag in the Roundup Ready corn. So he decided to test rats over two years, not just 90 days. Starting in the in the 30 days after the 90 days, in the next towards before 120 days, the rats started getting cancer. By two years. There were multiple massive tumors, early death and organ damage, but he decided to test not just Roundup Ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup. Another group that had been fed the Roundup Ready corn without the Roundup also had multiple massive tumors, early death and organ damage. And a group that had the Roundup without the corn also had multiple massive tumors, early death and organ damage. So you have the Roundup Ready corn And you have the Roundup. Add to that the BT toxin and many different types because they insert several different genes. So the BT toxin was found in the blood of 93% of the pregnant women tested in Canada. How did it get there? Maybe through the holes that it was created in the walls. Now, it should clear our bloodstream very quickly. So why did 93% of of the pregnant women in Canada have it? They weren't eating corn tortillas every day like they do in mexico most of the corn they ate was high fructose corn syrup and corn sugars that don't have the bt toxin present anymore well the researchers suggested that it was the milk Mm. and the meat from the animals that were fed the bt corn and uh, every day or the bt cotton seed cakes but there's another plausible causative potential and that is That it's possible that the gene that produces the BT toxin Mm -hmm. in the corn transferred into the DNA of bacteria inside our gut and continued to function, which means that we turn our intestinal flora into living pesticide factories. Oh, wow. If that's the case, 24-7, we're producing BT toxin, which could be high concentrations enough to poke holes in human cells to drive that toxin through those holes into the bloodstream where it's toxic to red blood cells and into the uh, blood of unborn fetuses. In the case of the Canadian study, 80% of the unborn fetuses had BT toxin in their blood. They also had Roundup or glyphosate in their blood. So it's a very dangerous combination and there's no blood brain barrier in the fetus and so you end up with Roundup and the whole poking toxin from BT in the brains of the offspring of this generation.
0: Goodness. And then you wonder why there's so much neural inflammation, right? And a lot of the diseases associated with that that are so much higher in percentages now than they used to be.
1: And we have a lot of correlation between Roundup and that. And that comes, it's also Dr. David Perlmutter, who's did Grain, Brain and Brain Maker in the film Secret Ingredients talks about why autism and other uh, cognitive disorders, MS and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are all linked to glyphosate.
0: That's really scary. You know, I think just getting back to what we were talking about with the corn itself, I personally just don't eat corn because I don't have a specific sensitivity to it, but it is a lectin. So there's that aspect, but then also it is hard to find non-GMO corn. And I mean, it's out there, but like you said, even the non-GMO, who knows, right? It could still have remnants of some of this. So I just avoid it personally, just due to my
1: own autoimmunity. Oh, absolutely. There are some people who will not eat any corn because of that. Some people will avoid honey because of the pollen from various things. It depends on your level of sensitivity and the capacity to be choosy and to select what you need.
0: And speaking of being choosy, when we talk about changing to organic, which of course is something that would benefit everyone, right, but obviously for some people, you know, certain things may not be available in the organic variety, especially certain times during the year. Also, it is a bit more expensive. So depending on someone's budget, you know, not everyone can afford it. So do you have any tips or suggestions of how people can go organic or perhaps maybe what foods are most important organic just to help people along if they can't just completely switch over all at once?
1: Okay. I've got, I've got some specific suggestions. It's a great question. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of the answers, more answers than I can give you is available in the 90 Day Lifestyle Upgrade, which I created because of the movie Secret Ingredients. Everyone wants to be more organic after they see it. It's very convincing. It's what the spouse gives the other spouse after that other spouse has denied and resisted any change in the diet. Then they see the film and, said, and they become more fanatic than the first one or their kids or their grandparents, et cetera. So we created a 90-day lifestyle upgrade where people in the film and ex- experts from around the world are, who are way high on the learning curve give their best tips and tricks for an organic lifestyle. And it's, it really does make it very, very easy. But here's a cheat sheet for those that want a quick fix. If you can't, first of all, think in terms of budgeting your purchases for organic as coming from a combination of your food budget and your health budget. You'll see in the film, secret ingredients that people are spending less very often on doctor's visits because they're not getting sick. And you definitely want to invest in your health that way. So put some of your health budget in there and put some of your philanthropy budget in there because you're contributing to a healthier planet and you're saving the lives of the farm workers who don't have to spray Roundup for to make your food so if you put those together then it feels a little easier to spend a little more and we teach you in the 90 day course how to spend less but irrespective i would say think of it that way second if you can't eat organic at least eat non gmo and avoid those foods that have high levels of glyphosate residues you can find out which ones are the case at responsibletechnology.org when you go there you can find the list of the gmos there's 12 gmo food crops and their derivatives, which are in most processed foods. And we have a report of everyone's, including our own institute's testing of food, what glyphosate levels are there. You don't want to eat oats unless it's organic. You don't want to eat hummus unless it's organic. You'll understand when you start flipping through this report, it's searchable. You can search by amount. You can search by your favorite foods and avoid those in the non-organic category that have high levels of glyphosate. And then you may feel a little bit better, you know, not eating organic on everything in order to avoid avoid these two poisons.
0: Great, great. And we'll post all of that in the show notes so that people can access it easier. Now, the other thing I was going to ask you about is testing. There are some companies out there that can test for glyphosate levels um, and some of these other toxins. Do you like any of those tests? Do you find them helpful? Do you use any of them?
1: uh, We do. In fact, some... Friends of mine, who I've known for more than 20 years, started a testing laboratory, HRI, in Fairfield, Iowa, somewhere on our site at responsibletechnology.org. We actually link to it. I think you can get $5 off or something. It's not an expensive test. They have what I consider to be the most sensitive to quantify the amount of glyphosate in your urine. But I believe there's also a hair test now, which gives more than just a snapshot. It gives a picture over time. Uh, One of the uh, staff members of the HRI Health Research Institute did his own uh, urine samples for a week and was eating normally, then switched to organic. It went down dramatically. And one night he had a pasta dinner and wheat is sprayed with glyphosate just before harvest, three to five days before, and it spiked up. And then it went down over a day or two. So it is water-soluble. Most of it leaves through the urine. Some of it gets deposited in the organs. It eventually makes its way to the bone, bone marrow. So it's not a good thing over time, but most of it does go out through the urine. And some of it gets put in the hair. So you can get hair analysis or urine analysis. And if you're doing a intervention, you can get one before and one after. That's
0: really good to know. And it's great to see that because it is water-soluble. So much of it comes out in the urine. So, you know, it just, again, gives people more hope, right? Even if they have been eating these foods for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because they just didn't know, right? I mean, this information is so much more readily available now, but it wasn't always before. And so, you know, it's just good to know that they can switch. Like, it's not too late. And that's really what I want to impress on people, that it's never too late to make these changes. Absolutely. Jeffrey, this has been so informational. Thank you so much for all of this. This is going to help so many people. And how do people connect with you? You mentioned your websites. There's a couple of them, but if you could tell us that again and way that people can contact and connect with you.
1: All right, sounds good. So, there's kind of an arc. First convincing you and your family and your stubborn relatives <laughs> to eat organic. Go to livehealthybewell.com and watch Secret Ingredients. It really does the trick. I did it with Amy Hart years ago. It's award-winning. It's, it's very effective because it has the experience of people. It has the, the testimonies of doctors, and it has the scientific explanation with easy-to-see uh, animations showing you what happens in the body. Then if you want help going organic or clearing from the GMO and Roundup damage, you can, at the same page, do the 90-day lifestyle upgrade or the healing from GMOs and Roundup. And you can then go over to responsibletechnology.org. You can learn more about GMOs and Roundup there, and you can just get a simple list of what the GMOs are and which products to avoid that have high levels of glyphosate residues. Then when you've gotten your life in order and you want to bless others, not only share what you've learned, share this podcast, share the film, but also, Help us stop genetically engineered microbes. Go to protectnaturenow.com. At protectnaturenow.com, we have a campaign that's focused on doing two things. Stopping the release of all genetically modified microbes to protect the global microbiome, protect biological evolution as we know it, and to implement the lessons of the recent experience of the globe to stop gain-of-function Experimentation that enhances potentially pandemic pathogens. Irrespective of the origins of this virus, we know that there's, as you'll see in the 16 minute film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle at ProtectNatureNow.com. There was an avian flu that was enhanced to meet airborne, which was at least 24 times more deadly than the current virus, could have decimated the population and had an over 50% death rate. It normally is very difficult to catch, you have to be around birds a long time, until the genetic engineers made it airborne. And with over a thousand accidents and escapes from high security labs, it's just simply not worth gambling with the lives of all human beings by creating these and storing these. So we wanna stop that as well.
0: And this is something that I'm not as aware of. So it's really good for me to learn about this. And I think a lot of people, if they say they may have heard of GMOs and they may have heard of glyphosate, I think the genetically engineered bugs is is new to a lot of people. So that's really important to know. Well, Thank you so much for all of the great work that you do and all of the information that you put out, which you know helps so many people around the world. I really appreciate you, Jeffrey.
1: Thank you so much. And I really appreciated going deep. I did not hold and hold back here. I know you have a very sophisticated, intelligent, and curious audience. So I went I went a little fast. I'm from the East Coast, so I can I can speak faster than the hockey announcers. <laughs> and uh, so you may have to listen to it twice.
0: Which is good, right? We'll get even more information that way. We appreciate that.
1: Okay, safe eating.
0: As you just heard, GMOs and glyphosate can play a huge role in health because there's so many pathways in the body that are affected at the same time. After spending two hours with Jessica reviewing her health history and diet, I saw that she came from a long family of farmers and has not only been exposed to many herbicides on the farm, she also had never really eaten organic foods. And while she was gluten-free, she was eating tons of conventional corn and soy. So our plan of action was clear. And first and foremost, we worked on her diet. She was not ready to give up corn completely. So what we did was we worked on changing to organic non-GMO corn at first, and then we worked on lowering the amount until she was able to completely eliminate it. She had access to organic foods via farmer's markets and natural health food stores in her area, which was great. So she started changing those foods over as well. As we were doing that, we knew that we also had to balance her gut and support her liver. So we did a gut cleanse for about eight weeks. We used antimicrobial nutrients like microbex and fc cytal, and then we supported her digestion with digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid while then healing her gut with glutamine and something called Enterovite, which is actually a short chain fatty acid supplement, and supplementing her with probiotics after we did the cleanse. Because glyphosate has such an effect on the microbiome, After we finished out the cleanse, I also recommended Ars Koso. It's something I've been using myself as well and really having great results. It's a Japanese fermented drink made from more than 100 different vegetables, fruits, and plants. And because all of these plants are fermented, It's like a natural pre and probiotic, and it's a great way to rebalance the microbiome and continue to support it. I also have a code if any of you guys want to try it. It's ENA10, and you can use it at checkout, rscoso.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. After supporting the gut, we started to work on her liver. We did the Push Catch Detox, which is a product by Quicksilver Scientific. There's two products here. One is called Liver Sauce, which basically pushes out the toxins. And then one is called UltraBinder, which essentially catches the toxin. So we push them out and then we catch them, which is really great at preventing detox reactions. And then after a month of the push catch, we did N-acetylcysteine for three more months to support her phase two liver detox. As we were doing this, we also checked her thyroid because it's really hard to heal the gut and really support detoxification if there's not enough thyroid hormone but her thyroid was in fact optimal. Her doctors were not mistaking when they said everything was fine. It really was. The issue was the immune system and that was creating the inflammation and it's the inflammation that was causing her to feel so off. Three months into the protocol, Jessica started to feel so much better. The biggest improvement was her brain fog. It was completely gone in these three months. Her energy got better. Her hair also started to fall out less and seemed like it was thicker and her digestion was much better, especially after the gut protocol that we did. Jessica was so excited, and of course, so was I. If Jessica sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and be sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Hope Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not
1: intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.